This morning, we're going to be looking at three different stories about Jesus, uh, uh, three different moments from his life. And, and I want to just kind of say this from the beginning that um, this is going to be a lot. Like we usually tackle just kind of one story this morning. We're trying to do three. And I want to just kind of give you permission as we're journeying through this, that if like, God speaks something to you, if a verse stands out or if, if God just starts like doing something in your heart, like let God keep doing that. Like I know sometimes we feel like we have to like pay attention to every word, everything that's said. And I just want to give you permission that there's a lot. And I think God has a lot to say to all of us. And so let your mind go, let your heart go. If he starts speaking to you in, in any way, um, the three stories that we're going to be in this morning, just kind of give you some context. They all revolve around Jesus like interacting and engaging people who are, who are confused about God. People that like come to church with questions that don't have all the answers. People that come wanting to know but not having everything figured out. And I love what Mark does. Mark's the guy that, that wrote this book. And if you've been with us, we're journeying through the book of Mark. If you haven't, we're only two chapters in, so you're not too far behind. I love what Mark does here. He's this believer, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago and he sat down to write this book so that you and I can know what Jesus is like, the things that he did, things that he said. I was talking to Andrew this week. Andrew's teaching over at Marathon this morning, and we were talking about just how beautiful, like kind of what's going on here. It's kind of like Mark is, is sitting down with us at the table. And I don't know if you ever had a moment like this before. Maybe you sit down with your family at Thanksgiving, or maybe you sit down with your buddies on a Friday night after a long week of class or work or whatever it is that you do. And you're sitting around eating pizza and talking and all of a sudden something happens and you start thinking about one of your friends and you find yourself for the next five or 10 minutes just kind of telling stories about your friend, not gossiping, but just like laughing and telling funny things they said, said and did. And that's the kind of the picture that I get of Mark. He's like sitting around the table with us and he's wanting us to know some stories about the way that Jesus interacted with people who just didn't have God figured out so that you and I could be more comfortable with our questions, so that we can know that our God can handle us in all of our doubts and all of the places that we come from. It's like Mark gets going. He's like, let me tell you this story and this story and this story because I want you to know. And what we're going to see, we're going to see so many beautiful things about Jesus this morning. We're going to see his deep love for us, his deep commitment to us. We're going to see his faithfulness. We're going to see all these amazing things about Jesus. But I hope that we also identify with some of the people in these stories so that you and I can step into deeper places of belief and life with God. And so the first story that Mark tells starts in chapter two, verse 18. And I want to just kind of give you this thought as we work through this first story. The thing that I think he's wanting to drive home is that God is near. God is near. And so the first story that Mark shares as he's sitting across the table from us goes like this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came, they asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And so a couple of things here that I want to point out, and I'll just say this, that I've read the story a lot and I've always been confused about it. I'm still kind of confused, but I think God has kind of given me some, 
some clarity this week, I think, in my personal life about what he's trying to do in my life in these verses. And so I'll just share some of that. A couple of things to kind of help us get the context. Fasting. Jesus talks about fasting in this, in this story. And if you've never heard of that, if you're not familiar with what that is, and if you are, just um, bear with me for a minute. Fasting is choosing to give up food for a set period of time. This is a kind of Christian practice that's been going on for, for a long time. And the goal of fasting is not to lose weight and it's not to punish yourself. The purpose of fasting, like the reason that a Christian would fast is to be with God, to, to connect with God, to hear from God. I don't know if you've ever fasted before as a follower of Jesus, but it just has this way of kind of just locking your heart into God. And it's not a formula, so if you fasted and that hasn't happened, it's okay. I'm just saying that so often when you fast, that this is just what happens. That when you give up the time that you normally eat breakfast or lunch or supper to, to pray and to read scripture and to sit in silence and let God just kind of speak and search your heart, that just has this way of, of opening your heart and your eyes to, to seeing God. It has this way of like unclogging your ears to hear from him. In this story, we're told that John's disciples... And the Pharisees are fasting. That language of disciples is kind of confusing because we don't talk like that really in our context much anymore. Like Josh and Molly, they don't have their disciples and, and DJ has his disciples. We just kind of don't talk like that. Essentially, not exactly, but to kind of give us an idea of the way that this would work is they kind of function the way that our house churches work here at Ethos. So in the same way that Josh and Molly have a house church, a group of people that they are like leading to love God and love people. That's the purpose of our house churches. To help them become people that love God and love people with the entirety of their being. Same way that DJ would do this as he leads his house church. He has a group of people that, that he's helping grow in their love for God and people. This is essentially the way that John interacted with his disciples. The Pharisees interacted with their disciples. These are the people that were around them that they knew it was their job to help them grow in their love for God. In the story, the John, some of his disciples and the Pharisees' disciples, they approach Jesus and they ask him why his little house church, his disciples aren't fasting. And I love what Jesus does. Instead of just telling them, this is so characteristic of Jesus, he gives an analogy. And we're gonna see this all throughout the book of Mark because he understands that sometimes an analogy has this way of painting a better picture in our hearts and in our minds than words ever could. So he says in verse 19, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They can't as long as he's with them. I learned this as I was preparing this week that in their culture, when someone would get married, it was a seven day party. Seven days of dancing, eating and drinking and partying. And I just kept thinking about, as I have a little girl, Finley, I can't imagine paying for a wedding reception that lasts seven days. It's like, I'm already stressing about how to pay for it. And it's like, can you imagine renting the cannery for a week? <laughs> and this is the, 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 the way that they celebrated weddings back then. And I love the, the, the language that Jesus uses. It's like he makes this statement. Can you imagine how crazy it would be to be at a wedding? where some of your best friends are getting married and maybe you're a groomsman or maybe you're a bridesmaid, like your best friend in the world and they're standing up the altar making vows and, and you go to the reception and you're eating and partying, everyone else is eating and partying, but you're standing in a corner fasting. Could you imagine a seven day celebration like with the people that you love most in the world who are in this most joyful moment in their life and you are not partaking at all? 
And that's absurd, right? All this joy, all this happiness, and you are just like refraining. And Jesus tells him this analogy, tells us in the story, and it's not crystal clear what he's trying to do there. But I think what he's saying is that he wants these guys to understand that he is God. These guys come to him and they say, man, hey, hey, why aren't your disciples fasting? And, and Jesus is going, the reason they're not fasting is because I am God. You see, John's disciples and the Pharisees have missed it. They were fasting to be with God, to connect with God. And God was standing in the front of them, right in their presence. Jesus is not some lesser version of God. He's not number two on the depth chart. He's there in the beginning. He's the creator, the sustainer, God most high, the eternal God. The one who will come back for us and take us to be with him forever and ever. And he shows up to these guys who are confused about who God is. And he says, I'm God. And I'm near. I'm near. And I kept thinking this week. I wonder how many of us find ourselves in the same place that these guys did in this first story. How many of us have like been doing all these things to try to connect with God, to try to hear from God, to try to be with God? And we're failing to see that, that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done in order for us to know God. That Jesus has paid the highest price on the cross. That he's forgiven us. That we are dearly and deeply loved children of God. And I wonder how many of us are acting like we're, we're, we're people who are outside of the favor of God, trying and trying and trying. And Jesus is going, open your eyes and see what I've done for you. See that I'm near. I'm not some distant God. My love for you is near. My presence to you is near. Jesus keeps going. He's talking to the Pharisees. And I think it's so interesting that he uses this analogy. So he says in verse 20, 21, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, it'll pull away from the old, make the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wide skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And what I love about this is that Jesus is looking at these guys who are confused about him. Looking at these guys who don't have him figured out. And he says, hey, you're, you're trying, to, you're trying to, to take everything that you've been told about who I am. The things that your parents taught you, the things that you learned in Sunday school, the things that you heard from your college professor. You have this, this box, this context for what you think I'm like. And you're trying to make me fit into that. And it's not working. You see, Jesus shows up to these guys and the, the invitation is to open their eyes and to see and to receive Jesus for who he actually is. And I go, for so many of us, we come here and we want to know God and we've been told all these things about God. We've been told all these things about who Jesus is. And Jesus is going, open your eyes and see the cross. Amen. See how dearly loved you are. See what I've done for you. See that I'm near you. This first story that Mark gives to us. Jesus is wanting us to understand for those of us who are confused that his love for us is deep, deep and real and he's near. 
The second story that Mark tells us is a beautiful story. The point that he's wanting us to understand in this as we kind of work through it is that he has come to set us free. He's come to set us free. Read with me in verse 23. It said, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so there's a lot that's going on here. I was kind of thinking about how it's really not normal for us to walk through a grain field in Nashville, right? Like when's the last time you saw a grain field? As I was reading this this week, I realized that this was normal in the first century, that they would walk through fields to get to places. And so as they, they went to Murfreesboro, as they went to Franklin, wherever it is that they went, so often their sidewalks, their interstates were grain fields. And so often as they were going from city to city, they'd find themselves being hungry. And so it was customary just as they were walking to, to take some heads of grain and to thresh it in their hands and to eat it. And I think this is so just interesting. It's like, this is a road trip snack. For me, this is Mountain Dew and Snickers. Like I'm going somewhere. I want both of those in my hands. Like this is them as they're traveling. They're, they're eating grain. And, and I think sometimes we read stories like this and it feels so far and so distant. But I want you just to imagine a road trip. In the middle of the road trip. The Pharisees, they show up to, to Jesus and they start pointing finger at his little house church and say, hey, why are your guys doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are they, why are they eating that grain? Why are they doing that? A couple of things that I want to help us understand here. Sabbath. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sabbath before. Sabbath was, um, it is a day of rest out of the seven days in the work week. From the very beginning, God said, I want you to take one day a week and rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments you can read about in Exodus chapter 20, one of the most ten important things that God wanted us to understand and to implement into our lives. The commandment was, don't work, rest. You see, the Pharisees, though, what we don't know about them, we talked about them a little bit last week. The Pharisees are these guys who were experts in the Bible, guys who had read and knew and memorized the entire Old Testament. And they took the liberty of themselves to explain what God meant by don't work but rest. And they created 39 different examples of what it means to, to rest and 39 different explanations of what it means to not work. Let me explain it like this. Growing up, one of my chores in the house that I grew up with my mom and dad, one of the things that we had to do every week, my older sister and younger brother, we had to clean our rooms. That was just kind of like we, we knew that. And, and so often my mom, she would, um, on Saturday morning, she would sit down and she would give us this little pink piece of paper that, that had all the things written out that she wanted us to do. Because in my mind, cleaning my room went making my bed. And that was it. Like, and, and, and so she said, no, what it means to clean your room is to dust your baseboards and to vacuum and to clean the mirrors and to take out your trash and put your clothes away. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. 
work with me here, the, the chore, the, the commandment that was given by God was to take Sabbath. And the Pharisees thought it was their job to, to explain to all the people, like the common people just like you and me, what it means to honor the Sabbath. They made out a list of all the things that they thought God was talking about. And several things hit me this week as I was thinking about the Pharisees. I think, honestly, they had just this amazing desire to please God. We're going to see a lot of just um, kind of ugly characteristics about the Pharisees, even today, but kind of especially as we work through the book of Mark. But I think in the, deep in their hearts, they had this desire to do what God wanted and to not do what God didn't want. These guys were all in. They wanted to please God and they were meticulous in their obedience to him. But what hit me this week as I was thinking about the 39 explanations that they had thought of that explained that, that everyone had to kind of abide by and go by is that how often this shift that happens where God will speak something and with the best of intentions, as we try to walk with God, as we try to live it out obediently, we've, we can become so fixed on doing everything right with, with doing this and not doing this that we become primarily rule followers and not Jesus followers. That so often this just kind of happens to, to people, like to, to church people, with people who've been coming and coming and coming and who know God, who've been walking with God, that it's so easily this, this shift, this subtle shift that happens where we, we, we start obeying the law, but we forget about the spirit behind the law. I'll just use my own life as an example. I've been following Jesus for about 18 years now. One of the things that I've learned is I've, spent time with God as I've prayed, as I read the scripture, is that God desires for us to, to pray. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word prayer, but it's just talking to God. You know, this past week, I was just kind of paying attention to the way that I interact with my little girl, Finley. And I noticed how, like, every time she would speak, I would want to respond. And how she would come and she'd sit in my lap and she'd ask me a question and she'd giggle and I would respond and, and, and how so often like she would talk and my first impulse was just to engage in conversation. It wasn't to leave the room, to ignore her. You know, and all throughout scripture, God refers to himself as the father. And I just kept thinking, if this is a way that I interact with my little girl and I'm not even close to being a perfect father, I don't love my kids perfectly nearly, but our God loves us perfectly. And if I love to interact with my kids constantly, I can imagine how much more so God longs to hear with us, hear from us. I've learned that God loves to, for us to be with him all day in prayer. Share with him our struggles. Share with him the things that are making us anxious. Share with him the things that delight our souls. I've also learned how he desires for us to be people that, that know and love the scriptures, that obey the scriptures. And I think the reason, as I was processing my personal relationship with God, why do I have this desire to, to read and to pray? And I think it's because oh, God has put this desire in me to know him. He's put this desire inside of you to know him. But how so often, like this subtle shift just happens in my life where I'll wake up and I'll oversleep a little bit and I'll look at my calendar and I realize that I've got a full day and so I go, okay, I know that God wants me to pray and I know that I, know that I need to read today, so I'm gonna take 10 minutes and I'm gonna read and pray and then I'm gonna do the rest of my day. 
And how so often, like, I'll just become so fixed on the, the law and I'll miss the spirit. That God longs for our hearts to be connected to his, not for us to just go through some checklist. And I love the way that, that Jesus engages these guys. They've, they've missed the heart on, on walking with God and enjoying God, and they've become so fixed on the law. And Jesus, he mentions to them in verse 25. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And this is so beautiful. David, to them, was the man. Think about this. Is there someone in your life that you just think the world of? That you just have the highest regard for? Maybe it's your dad or your grandfather, your grandmother, your sister. This was David to the Pharisees. He was a man after God's own heart, what the Old Testament tells us. He was Israel's greatest king. He was the man. And Jesus asked these guys this question about David's life and this story that he talks about recorded in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you want to go back and read it. He says, have you never read what David did? And this is a rhetorical question that Jesus asked these Pharisees because of course they had read this. They were experts in the Bible. They had it memorized. It'd be like me going to barista parlor to another coffee shop and coming up to the barista and going, hey, are you familiar with the concept of a latte? Like, do you know what a, a mocha is? Jesus is looking at these guys who have this down. And the point that he's wanting to drive down in these guys who are confused about him, who don't have everything figured out about God, but who think that they do, is that David, this spiritual hero of theirs, this friend of God, he had broken a commandment. He broke the law and every single one of them knew it. And they also knew that even though he broke the law, God didn't cut him off. God wasn't done with him. He was still God's son. You see, Jesus is wanting to expand these guys' understanding of God, of who God is, what God's like. I love the verse that 27 and 28, he says, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I kept asking myself that question this week. What is he talking about? Lord of the Sabbath. And I think the same thing that he's saying in this story is the same thing that he was saying to the guys in the first story, that, that I am God. I think he's telling these guys that, that he created Sabbath. Along with all the other commandments, that Sabbath and the commandments were his idea. And it's like he's sitting them down and going, so let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about the, the idea, the purpose, the spirit behind this commandment. And I think how beautiful this is, what's happening here. It'd be like us getting to sit down, not with an expert in Apple, not an expert in Max, but with a creator, Steve Jobs. I go, man, if you wanted to know a lot about a Mac, you could go down to the Mac store in Green Hills and the employees there, are, they know their stuff. But you learn a whole lot more by sitting down with the creator, the inventor. And Jesus, the creator of the Sabbath, the giver of every command, the giver of the law, he's sitting us down. He's going, hey, let me tell you about the spirit behind the, the Sabbath. Why I've given you the commandments. 
He says, the Sabbath was created for man to help man, to guide man, to lead man back to God. It was never meant to become something that was a burden, something that oppressed, never meant to be something where hungry people walking through a grain field would be scrutinized for eating a snack. He said, no, the Sabbath has always been about God wanting to give us joy and freedom and life and making us into people who live lives full of worship. Let's be honest, for those of us who are Christians, is that descriptive of your life? Like when the world thinks about us as followers of Jesus, do they think about people who are full of joy and life and worship? I think right now God's doing something really powerful all over the world where he's kind of turning the tide. But for the longest time, when when people look at Christians, that's not who we are. I look at my own life and I go too often, my life is not marked with freedom and joy and rest, but with fear and exhaustion and burden. So often, if I'm just being honest with you, I live in fear because of what I've done against God. I live in fear about stumbling upon that sin again. And this is crazy, but how often, like when I I miss my quiet time for a day or a weekend or a week or a month, like when my heart's just not fully locked into God, how I feel like so guilty, live in fear. And instead of, of, of waking up and living grateful lives of worship that Jesus Christ has paid the full price for all of our sin, that Jesus, the Son of God, loved us enough to get up on a cross where he suffered and bled and died, instead of being grateful and thankful for the God who came and took our place, who covered our sin, I live in fear. And we could do this with all the different commandments. He uses Sabbath here. And I think about, I wonder how many of us, we actually, we actually practice Sabbath. One day a week, do we turn off our phones and close our computers? Do we rest? And I go, when we understand the way that Jesus engages people, who don't have it all figured out. And I go, so many of us, we come into this place and and what he's wanting us to understand is that, that life with God, it's not primarily about what we can do for God. Being a follower of Jesus is not about what we can bring to the table. It's about understanding from the very beginning how much he has done for us and how all along the way, what he longs to give to us And when we understand that the commandments of God, Sabbath, were meant to make us into people who live lives of worship, people who rest, people full of joy and life, that our worth isn't in what we do. Our worth is in what has been done for us. That it creates in us this heart for God. This heart that understands it, that he has done for us what no one else would do. And that as our God, he's not looking to us for, for what we can bring to the table. He wants us to understand what he has done to sit us at the table. And we understand this. 
that Jesus engages with people who don't have it figured out because he wants us to understand that everything that he speaks is for our good, for our joy, for our worship. It creates in us a heart of devotion, the very heart that Jesus longs to create in us. This is the second story, Jesus showing us that he's about our freedom. The third story this morning, I love this story. Jesus restores. Jesus restores. Look at me in verse one, chapter three. It says, another time, Mark continues to tell us the story. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked him, Jesus asked the crowd, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And this is the most shocking part of this whole story. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I love that in this third story, Jesus heals this man. His hand just doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work. And he has this man stand up in front of everyone in the middle of church. And I think this is beautiful because Jesus could have taken this man back to the kid's space. <laughs> he could have taken him back to a separate room and, and healed him and dealt with him, but it's like he wanted the people to see his power, his love, his care, his purpose. He wanted the people to see so they could believe. One of the 39 rules that the, the Pharisees had created about Sabbath, and this is just ridiculous, but... They said what it means to keep Sabbath is that you can't help somebody when they're in need on the Sabbath. That if you meet somebody who's in need, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you gotta wait till the next day to help them because that's considered work. You see, the Pharisees, they'd been so fixed on the law that they'd missed the spirit. They thought that God would be more interested in their ability to keep the law than he would be in helping somebody in need. And Jesus shows them the spirit, the reason why he has come, to set people free. The same way that he did for this man physically, he longs to do for all of us spiritually, to, to heal us, to restore us, to fix everything inside of us that has been broken. I go, man, we, we come in this place with all different places of brokenness. In all different places of pain and hurt and shame. And Jesus shows up and he says, I've come to fix everything that's inside of you that's cracked and broken. And you keep trying to fix yourself with the same old ways, the same old ways, the same old ways. And it's not working. Jesus says, you've got to understand that I've come down from heaven to heal you. To fix your life, to fix your thinking. So you can know what God is really like. And the Pharisees, their primary issue these good old church people, is that they thought that they could take care of their own brokenness. They thought their lives could be what God wanted without any help. 
and they miss Jesus simply because they refuse to see who he is and what he'd come for. You think about this, a man was miraculously healed. I go, can you imagine Jesus healing a a person in our midst this morning? A person that we care about whose, whose hand doesn't work. A person that we love dearly and our response to that is to kill Jesus. You know, the real heartache in this story is that these guys have missed the Savior. They missed him altogether. Standing right in front of him, and they missed him. This is where I want us to end this morning with these three stories. I know this is a lot. It kind of feels like drinking from a fire hydrant like this morning. It's just kind of a lot of information. And I want to encourage us. Adam's going to come back up in just a minute and lead us in worship. And, and I really want to just encourage you to, to let God keep pressing in, to pressing in these stories in your life. And so maybe you just need to sit in silence and, and take the bread and the cup and, let, and just ask God, hey, God, what, where am I missing the boat? Where am I failing to, 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 to believe fully and to see and to lean my life? You know, the reality is that, that some of us come in this place and, and you've been walking with Jesus faithfully and you're maturing deeply in Christ and you don't relate to anyone in this story. And that's fantastic news. You're not confused, you don't have doubts. And what I wanna encourage you to do as you break the bread and drink the cup is just to thank Jesus. Maybe gather the people that you've come with and and just share some of the ways that you've seen him and have experienced him. So often I've found that when when people are willing to share about their good experiences with God, even if I'm not in a good place with God, there's something that's about that that's so encouraging. And so I want to encourage you, if if you're in a good place with God, if, if the only thing that you saw in these stories this morning was an appreciation for Jesus, then share that. For some, as we take the bread and drink the cup, this morning, maybe you realize that you have just some deep misunderstandings in your life about Jesus. And it's been affecting the way that you interact with God and with people. Maybe you realize that you've become primarily a rule follower and you missed out on following Jesus because of it. I go, have the courage to, to let God speak into your life and have the courage to repent. We take the bread and we drink the cup every week, not as uh, tokens, as reminders that we've done everything, that, that we're perfect, but that Jesus was perfect for us. And break the bread. Pray, Jesus, I'm gonna do better. Thank you for exposing all the areas in my life that I still have not been sanctified in. And some of you, maybe as we were talking this morning, you just realized that your eyes have been closed, but that you wanna receive Jesus. You keep trying to fix your own brokenness. You understand that that you're not who or where you want to be. Maybe for the first time you see something different in Jesus. And if you're interested in following Jesus, if you're interested in just walking with him and knowing him and becoming his follower, there are going to be some men and women up front to respond. Man, we'd love to help you. You don't have to come up here. I encourage you, if you came with somebody that's a follower of Jesus, man, just just. Get them to share with you. Hey, I want to follow Jesus. What does that mean? I love these three stories because it gives me so much hope. I think about all the times in my life where I'm just confused, where I've just gotten off a little bit in my walk with God. And Jesus, with all the patience in the world, he just shows up over and over again in Scripture and says, hey, receive what I long to give to you. 
Open your eyes and see. Let's pray.